Welcome, everybody, to The Sonic Truth. This is Justin here, along with my host, Chris. And today we have a very special and exciting guest, someone in which we've been waiting to get on the show for the past few months. Um, and, man, I, I can't even explain anymore. We're just going to bring him in. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Come on, Will. Bring on in. How you doing today? What's up, guys? How are you guys? Uh, we're doing good. We're trying to maintain awesome. cool in this sunny Florida. Hell yeah! Thanks for having me. This is a, this is a real honor. I love you guys so much. I love Audioscape. So so to be able to hang out with you guys is really really fucking cool for me. Well, that's awesome. We love having you as a guest. I know yeah. Trevor and a lot of people on um, over at the team at Audioscape have been uber excited. Yeah, very cool. That's very very cool. So looking forward to getting to our conversation. So for some of our listeners out there who may not know who you are, a little bit of your background, could you just give us a little slice of pie? about where you came from and what got you started into the music industry? Yeah, um, I I just love music, man. I just love music. I've always loved music ever since I've been, you know, playing drums since I was 11, 11 years old. And I just fell in love with music. I fell in love with playing. I fell in love with songwriting. And uh, when I when I jumped into my first recording studio session when I was 12, you know, me and my buddy, you know, my best friend at that time saved up like a hundred bucks, which was so much money for, for, for a 12 year old. That's, that's like, might as well be a million dollars, you know, for a 12 year old. <laughs> that's a hundred longs for, cut. For, yeah, <laughs> we saved up months and months and months of allowances and whatever, you know, and we like stole, you know, candy money from, from shit we're supposed to sell or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to, to get it. <laughs> and we're like, all right, cool. We found, we found the studio. We found the studio that was charging whatever twenty bucks um, an hour to record um, in this guy's home studio, and we went, and that's when it clicked. Even at at twelve, it clicked. I was like, "Yo, I love playing and I love writing songs, but being a producer, being on the wider end of it, the big picture side of it, I fell in love with it." From then on, I was like, "This is what I want to do. I want to live in a recording studio." So I asked, I asked uh, the guy, Chris Grillo, who became my mentor, um, I asked him if I could work for him for free. I said, dude, let me, let me, you know, get your coffee, go clean your toilets, just let me hang out. And he said, yo, I'm actually opening up a new studio. Would you, would you be down to come and run the rehearsal rooms? And I said, fuck yeah. And it kind of all kind of spawned from there. And I've been a studio, uh, kind of a studio rat ever since. I never, I never had a, another job, you know, I just... Worked at his studio for five bucks an hour until I was like 18. And I started recording bands in my mom's basement when I was 16. And I just kind of grinded, man. And I just fell in love with it. And I've never looked back. So, yeah, that's kind of a short story of how I kind of got started in this. But, um, yeah, yeah, it was a pretty, it, it was pretty meant to be for me. You know, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. You know, some similarities I got to draw on here is I also had a recording studio in my early teens, late teens, in my parents' house. Yeah. yeah During that time, cool. did you experiment with recording? Because on occasion, I would have live bands come in, and they wanted to try to get a really unique, different sound. And I had a Tascam yeah. 2600 D88s. 
So we put a pig nose inside a washing machine, closed it, and recorded lead guitar solos for that. And to this <laughs> day, awesome. what I would do is if there is like a certain, it gives it a real strange resonance to it. I wouldn't keep it as the main track. Yeah. I kind of keep it as a layered track. But on a rare occasion today, if I'm in a situation where I have a live guitarist, I'll almost create the box around the amp like a wash machine and direct the mic yeah. in the opposite direction as long as that is a reflective oh, surface. Cool. So it's, oh, they know awesome. if you had any different tips and tricks you yeah. learned from working in the basement. And yeah, so my, my mom's basement was the size of, half the size of this control room. It was a tiny, tiny room with five sweaty dudes tracking in it, you know? <laughs> and, but, you know, we're all referencing records that have massive, massive drum sounds. You know, every record reference, we're referencing in utero, we're referencing Black Album, we're referencing all these crazy drum records. I'm like, yo, this is, this is a 10 by 10 room, man. <laughs> but luckily... Luckily, you know, um, uh, we're right next to a, a, a staircase and a garage that was still wasn't completely soundproof through like, like you get a good amount of um, a good, good amount of sound in the garage or in the staircase. So I started putting mics in there. Right. And I started playing a lot with room mics. And that's when I kind of started really falling in love with manipulating room mics. Right. It was taking a pair of whatever, any condensers that I had, throwing them in the furthest room that can collect sound and crushing them, taking a, you know, a crappy at that point, a crappy 1176 plugin and crushing it and then trying to emulate the Black Album, emulate in utero. And I kind of kept doing that for the rest of my life. So right now, you know, we call it the secret mice at Studio 4. There's a room behind uh, our piano. It's like an ISO room that's not completely dead. There's a cool echo to it. And we always put a pair of ribbon mics in there for drums. And it sounds cool. like it's a mile away. That's our, I wish, you know, one day, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll deep dive into one of my sessions. If you mute those, if you mute those mics, you, it feels like you left the room. It feels completely dry. And those are still other rooms, but that's, that is really my secret sauce on my, on my drums. And, uh, I kind of really kind of got that started in my mom's basement when I was fucking 16 years old, kind of finding a way to make these guys happy and try to get big drum tones and make myself happy because I'm right. a drummer. It, it yeah. forced so, your creativity. Yeah. You, you, yeah, exactly. Just experiment. And then you carry that on. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. how cool is it yeah. that I honestly have never tried that. In all the years of recording, yeah. I've never tried to record the ambience, per se. It's almost like walking in the street and going by a club, yes, and you're exactly. feeling that energy. But what that yeah. adds to those other tracks Yeah, Yeah, and then unmatched. if you mute it, and then, you know, so you lose something, you know, yeah. even though it might yeah. not be so overt in the, you know, yep. in the mix. Have yeah. you tried anything unique in your experience, oh, Chris? I'm sure, geez. Uh, the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the last time we recorded drums, some Pete threw uh, a mic facing the toilet. Oh, you know? really? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we had it, the toilet mic. It, it wasn't that bad. I think it was a, um, it was actually a Steger uh, ribbon we used. Uh, and it awesome. was, yeah, beautiful mic, you know, to, just to mic the toilet, you know, which is, <laughs> yeah, go figure. But um, yeah, that's you, funny. You know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. They've done all sorts of <laughs> weird bonkers experiment. That's the fun of it, though. We got a know? toilet in the washing machine and then a stairwell. Yeah. I think the stairwell yeah, worked yeah, out yeah. the best for all three of I'm us. Like, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> You know, you, you want reflections, right? You want color. So anything will work if, if you get some extra color out of it. And then, you know, you mold it. You mold it with great tools, you know. Now, going to Studio 4, I did a little research on it, and I'm aware of yep. the upstairs. 
of what it once yeah. was. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's the hip hop era of everything about yeah. that. And yeah. um, you're able to kind of, you know, blend into that latter part of that by working into yeah. the Lauren Hill camp and situation. Uh, real quick, do you know Che Pope? I don't. I don't that rings a bell. He used to be our A&R at Warner, and he was on the first okay. album with Lauren, Miseducation. But anyway, the Butcher Brothers. Oh, very cool. um, yep. How amazing of an experience. How did you end up meeting those guys? Oh, man. This story, we can talk about this for two hours, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's well documented. You know, I won't go, you know, I won't regurgitate a bunch of stuff I said before, but, you know, I can't stress enough uh, uh, how important Studio 4 is to me and how important the Butcher Brothers are to me. Um, they, you know, growing up, I was a music geek. I was like a, you know, pop culture music or just, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I collect the CDs. I read liner notes, you know, I, I memorized production credits, you know what I mean? On my hardcore records, on my pop records, on my hip hop records. And, you know, the Fuji's, the scores are my favorite records of all time. Yes. The first cassette I ever bought when I was like eight, you know, with my own money was a Boys to Men record, right? And that Boys to Men, you know, two was it, you know? Um, and, you know, yeah, yeah, Boys to Men, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you know Boys to Men? Yeah. I don't, I don't, but, you know, they did a lot of their records here, so I feel very connected to them, <laughs> yeah. Well, Wanye is a but, good um, friend of mine. Oh, that's awesome. Tell him, and tell him. I was going to ask you about Studio 4 because that was their starting point. And for you to yeah, say please. at eight years old, you one of the first ones you bought, that's yep. cool. Yep. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, please. Continue. Yeah. No, please, no, that's awesome because please send him my love. Because I will. Because that's, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think at one point they were living in Contra Hawken or around here, mm -hmm. uh, still around the studio. So please send them my love because, uh, you know, those records really um. imprinted on my life, you know. And um, yeah, so those records, you know, I, I open them up and it's fucking recorded in, you know, Philadelphia or Contra Hawken when the studios was uh, in Philly back in the day. And I was like, shit, man, one day, man, one day I want to work there as a dream. Like it didn't feel real to me though, right? You know, it's kind of like grown up. Uh, you always think, you know, like as a, you know, broke ass kid in North Philly, you don't think you're ever going to make out to LA. L LA might as well have been Mars, right? You know what yeah. I mean? But, and Studio Four is the same thing because you're like, these guys are, these guys are making huge records in Philly, but like, it could be a dream. One day I'm going to work there. One day I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to end up there. Maybe, I hope if all things end up, end up. And you know, it was always just like the carrot in front of me. I just always made my decisions based on, man, is this going to help me get to Studio Four? You know, in terms of the studio <laughs> life. And um, I worked at another studio for a while. It's called Indre in South Philly. They did a lot of cool records. They, they worked at a lot of local radio stations. And I recorded a live record with them, uh, with the band The Fray. And um, at that point, everyone was telling me, yo, you want to work at Studio Four? Phil Niccolo, one half of the one half of the Butcher Bros, teaches at Temple University. And at this point, I was a senior in high school. And my parents, you know, my fucking uh, Chinese uh, immigrant parents, they're like, yo, you're not going to Temple. You're going to fucking UPenn. You know, I had I had a, you know, a, a, a thing kind of ready to go to go to Penn, to go to like a cool Ivy League school or do whatever. I was like, yo, I'm going to play drums and produce music. Like, like I don't think I need to go to one of these schools. And, um, and... I was like, and but the guy that I want to meet, the studio I want to be at, the owner of that studio teaches at Temple. I'm going to fucking Temple. I I decided to go to Temple just to meet this guy because at that point, you know, this was 
what, oh, yeah, 03, 04, 04. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no way for me to get Studio 4. There's, there, there, there's no, like, DM on Instagram. There's no, like, email that you can find. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I mean? There's not, yeah. there's not even a phone number. He was knocking and, on and, doors. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, I committed to Temple. And um, second semester, I went went to Phil's class. I, I took Phil's class. I stayed an hour. He had a line out the door of kids trying to talk to him, like kiss his ass after, after the first class. And I and I was like, I'm gonna be the last guy because I'm gonna leave an impression. You know, I had a resume and I dropped off the phrase CD that I did. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna work for you. I'm gonna crush it. And I was just very confident in my delivery. And he said, dude, just show up. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Just show up, you know? <laughs> so, and, but that, that's a piece of advice, man. Most of it, you know, it's a cliche, but so much of it is just showing up. You know what yeah. I mean? So much of, of the work, you know, rather it's being in any part of the industry or in any industry, it's just showing up because people need work and people need help. And if you're there, you're, you're going to help in some way, even if you're just fucking there. So I showed up that day. I couldn't find the studio. I remember being outside is completely hidden. It, it's under this, uh, I, won't, I won't give it too much, but Good. we share the building with a restaurant and I, I pull up, he gave me the address. I pull up, I'm like, dude, did he fucking prank me? <laughs> did he prank me? Like, 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 I just see a bar, you know? And I, I, I go looking around, I go, you know, on the internet, looking at the yellow pages <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, where the hell is this studio? And I haven't called some friends. I was like, yo, can you can you can you go online and like find some numbers or find something? And found a number, no one's picking up. Um, I remember getting in my car and driving down, like, I guess I'm going home. I can't find I was there for like an hour and a half outside outside in the cold, you know? And I'm like, no, I told this dude I was showing up. I'm showing up. So I turned I turned the car back around, I parked again. And I just stood outside. I asked people, you know where a studio, studio is? They, they, uh, studio, uh, what was that? And they all looked at me like I was fucking crazy because they was really <laughs> nice. And you have this kid looking for a music studio, you know? And and then I went to the bar because I know where else to go because that was the closest address was this bar. I was like, yo, do you know where this recording studio is at? And they're like, oh, it's right through the stores. <laughs> so I went, I, I went down. I remember I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I went down. He was so surprised to see me. He was recording this band from Brazil. And I just stood there. I didn't feel worthy to even sit down, you know, because people were busy. So I just stood in the corner of the studio absorbing this. Is You know, I was there until midnight. You know, that was, yeah, I was there for like six hours um, just standing up. And I was like, all right, what do you need? You need to take out the trash and do this. And I was in that studio Every day since I've been, I've been in here every day since he hasn't left um, yet. Now he's sitting. Yeah, I, I haven't left yet. Say. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, that was '06 at that point, and I told him, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna work here. <laughs> you know, I kind of kind of I was like, I'm gonna find my place here. Um, I there was a, a storage room that you know when they moved from you know the studio used to be on the top floor, a really big beautiful top room. And we consolidated down to uh, the bottom floor when they, after he sold a rough house, uh, sold a catalog and everything. Um, they moved everything to this, you know, all this extra storage was in this like tiny kind of studio space, like maybe 14 by 12 studio space. And I said, yo, if I get if I get a storage facility and I put the, this, this shit somewhere that you don't need, can I rent this? Can I give you a thousand bucks a month and rent this room from you? Because 
it wasn't even like I needed it. I didn't need it, but I just wanted to solidify me being at Studio 4. I just wanted to be in the ecosystem of Studio yeah. 4. So um, I started doing that. I rented the big room, this room, to record drums, and I did all the overdubs in the small room. And it just kind of kept happening, kept happening. It, it was, I really, really got lucky because they, while they were moving, they were rebuilding the downstairs. Like, like this live room wasn't even done. Like the, the trimming wasn't done. There wasn't even a floor put in. So it was like my perfect time to get in. And I said, yo, no one's using the studio because it wasn't like ready. But like, if no one's using it, can I just use the room and, you know, kick you back a few hundred bucks a night and bring these shitty hardcore bands, shitty punk bands in to record? And of course he said yes. So I kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And like this room still isn't done because I, I, ne I never stopped. He's, I never stopped still doing it. The studio. <laughs> we're still doing it. And in 2013, you know, I decided, you know, things were just picking up. I decided to make them offer to buy the studio, which is crazy, crazy to me. You know, I had people kind of, Right, wanted to back me. I got really lucky in this in this you know rock world. And he uh, he was he said fuck no, but you can buy half. <laughs> and so I bought half the partnership of the studio in 2013. And yeah, and here I am, you know, in my dream studio that when I was eight years old or eight or nine years old, bought a Boys and Men cassette tracked in the studio. You know, so it's kind of it's, it's a good thing you to think. turned around after an hour and a half. Yes, yes, that. yes. That's. Yeah, did you tell him that story did. after the fact? I did. I did. I told him that like a few days after, and he didn't give a shit. But now, now we laugh about <laughs> it. You know, <laughs> fifteen years later, you know, that is so cool. What a great story! Yeah, you know, that's he, so inspiring, Will, because so many people see that dream. <clears throat> excuse me, and they just give up after their yeah. first or second attempt. Well, it, any form of success, it's just consistency, just day in, day yep. out. And I think that's, you know, that's the most important thing. People, sometimes they put people that are successful on a pedestal, like they did something crazy or it, no, just consistent. You just yep. day in, day out, do the same thing and do, do it yep. well. You have a goal, you, you, you know, you just go for it, you know, every day. Exactly. Like I, I I'm not going to lie. I'm not, and this is no, like, you know, self bashing at all. I'm being completely honest. I was a terrible engineer. I wasn't good when I was, even at that, at, at that age, you know, I was just trying things. I was a drummer. I, I listened to punk records and hardcore records. I was just trying shit. You know, it wasn't, you know, this like next level, like, you know, Cervant skill that I had. It was, I, I walked in the room and I said, all right, I might not be the most talented at anything, but I'm gonna outwork everyone in this room, yep. even the, to the artists. I'm, to, I promise you that, and you want me on your side because I'm gonna work for you. I'm gonna work with you, and and I'm gonna outwork everyone. And that's and still to this day, that's 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 the you know that's the attitude I keep. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's another big piece of advice I give to people: just, just fucking show up and work. Yeah, man. just it's as simple work. as what you, just Phil said: just show up. Results. Yeah, yeah. yeah. got to get it done. Just get in the fight and figure it out as you go along. Yeah, you know. That you yeah. just, that's awesome. That's great. Hell yeah. So moving forward, um, let's talk a little bit more gear specific here. Anything oh, that you would like to yeah. uh, pick his brain about? Well, I was wondering if you had to make a record with just one preamp and one compressor. You know, let's say you have a you know, mic collection. You can choose between different mics, but one preamp, one compressor, you know, obviously, you know, you can have multiples of it for a drum kit, you mm -hmm. know. What, yeah. what would you go with? Desert uh, Island. What a 
What a crazy, crazy, crazy question. That's a crazy, crazy question. But I'm ready. I'm ready because I, I, I'm well-versed in this. So again, I, I've been lucky enough to work at this studio for 15, six, 16 years now in front of a Neve 8048, one of the only seven that's fully intact, you know? Uh, excuse these, these, these holes, though. We have the modules in, a, in other studios right now. But um, uh, for a preamp, you know, I've, I've used all your classics, you know what I mean? Like, you know, again, working for Lauren Hill, uh, Miss Lauren Hill, she, she had a collection that was mind-blowing. She had a Frank Zappa's API desk. She had, you know, 16 1073s, 16 1081s. Um, she had every compressor. She had Zappa's uh, API desk. She had, yep, Zappa Zappa's API desk, the white one. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, yeah, she had, she got it from the estate. Got it from really? the estate. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, Dweezil and Amit let that go. Yeah, crazy. It was crazy. It's on the back. I forget which. Maybe it was. I forget which record. But there's a picture of him smoking a cigarette. Like like. They're just, right they're just the putting the ashes on the, <laughs> on console, the console, right on the console. The ashes are falling on the console. I'm like that's <laughs> right. badass. Yes. But uh, um, but you know, I there's you know people, yeah, people want to want to um, you know make you know always done comparison between, uh, between a class A, class A B or whatever. But the 1081s, there's something to it. I swear, I swear, there's something to it in terms of a preamp, uh, EQ preamp, a channel strip coming in. The 1081s, that's, I can't make a record without it. I feel naked without it. You know, I've made plenty of records without it, but it's, um, it's, it's, I, f I feel different when I don't have it. It's like, it's my tool. It's, you know, it's, it's the Excalibur for me. You know, it, everything just sounds good through it. And I don't, I, I will gladly, proudly say that in the last 16 years, there's no one on this planet that has put, clocked in more hours on 1081s, on original 1081s than I have in the last 16 years. Because that's all I've been doing, all I've been recording with for, yeah, for the last 16 years, for 14 hours a day, every single fucking day. Um, and I, I I fell in love with them the first time I used it, and I still love them to this day. Um, I would not pick another uh, South State preamp or any preamp over a 1081. Um, that's my go-to. You give me a 10, you give me a rack of 1081s and we're making a record and it's going to sound insane. It's going to sound insane. How, now the compressor. Uh, go, no, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, the compressor right. for sure. All right. So, so I am a Neve guy. I'm just a Neve, again, working on this console for so long. That's just where my taste is. I like that Neve goo. I like that that it, it sounds like a tank. For some reason, it just sounds weighty. All these lists just sounds weighty. Um, in this console, there's six 2254s built in, and they are, it's a tie. It's a tie. It's my go-to uh, go compressors or my Desert Island compressors. 2254s to maybe track, 30, 33609s to mix. I, I know you asked for one, but I'm going to say two. And that's and that's for, for both ends. And, uh, uh, those again, that Neve juice is so important to me. Um, if I had to, if I had to ever have signature gear, it's it's the ne it's of the Neve color, baby. It's the Neve color because that's just my blood. It's in my blood. That's yeah. awesome. That wasn't even like, you know, that wasn't that hard of a question. For no, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> well, I love the complexity of the answer. So no, yeah. the 1081s. Have you driven any uh, drum machines hard through that preamp? Oh. 
I have driven everything hard into that preamp. Yes, right. <laughs> um, but yes, drum, drum machines sound insane. Even, you know, we we love it. I remember I, I, I was doing a record with uh, the singer from Turnstile. He had a solo project um, that was very kind of like R&B, you know, people didn't expect it coming from, you know, the, the singer of like the biggest hardcore band, the face, face of the earth. But uh, um, it was very R&B, kind of Sade influence. And he had all these um, drum sounds already but they were all like stock logic drum sounds. <laughs> and he was like, yo, I just I just wrote the record to this. I, we tried to like replace some of other sounds. We're like, it, it always felt like the soul was missing because we wrote it to it. It was like, right, it yeah. was a part of the, you know, that sound was a part of the songs, but he knew he wanted to make it richer and sound just a little gooier and better, a little more saturated. And we're like, yo, what if we drive these the fuck through, like fucking hard through the 1081s, you know, and the 2254s. So that's what we did. And that gave us our sound. And no one listened to that record saying, oh, those sounds like logic, logic, logic <laughs> stock logic, <laughs> logic tones. You know, those aren't even like, no, not even like contact or like anything. They were stock logic. Like you <laughs> no pull logic party, snare drum. No <laughs> <plugins. laughs> it, it, you pull stock, stock logic uh, drum sounds. And that's the, those are the ones we use. But we really color them, just driving them in. It wasn't any EQ. It was just driving them in and compressing with the 2054s. And you got that nice saturation, that dis that good distortion. And it sounds, you know, it's, I, I will make a sample out of that. I will make a sample yes. back out of yes. those we got, that. you know, because they're awesome. Yeah. Now, during your, uh, when you record, since the majority of the music that you record and produce uh, encompasses live musicians, do you have a preference, and I know it usually comes down to the group or the musicians you're working with, but do you prefer to track the entire group to capture that live feel? Or do you oh, segment it, it in doing the rhythm section first and then layering it segment by segment thereafter? All right, this is a, a loaded question. Loaded question. I I don't do things the same with every record. You know, um, I think it's well advertise that you know when i do a record with a band um i just join the band you know my 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 what i what i tell bands is you don't come to studio four you don't come to do a record with me to get a will record that's not that's not what i do i have no interest in that my goal is that when we agree to do a record together i join the band and i make your record i don't care if we make the record on fucking mars you know what i mean i don't care if we make the record or whatever whatever it's our, it's our heads it's our ideas at the end of the day at the end of the day we can talk about gear all day and it's so important to me but what's paramount are the songs. And my goal is to get the best songs possible. Whatever that means, whatever it takes to get to get us those songs, boom, we're gonna do it. Uh, to answer your question, I'll use an example to this band, you know, very, very important band to me called Title Fight. And we go out of our way to approach it different because you know, we even said the record we made when we we're 17 should not be the same record or the same style or what we do when we're 30. You know, we should be doing things different. The first, the first record we did, we did live, no click. It was just live in a room. Everyone played live and we loved it because, you know, they already had these songs figured out for so long because it was the first record. The second record, we're like, yo, let's give a little more attention to detail of everything. And this is where I really kind of found my stride in working with a band and really finding the best way for me to dig into every aspect of the song and basically to, to to find my pocket. And what we did was I still want that live energy. I still want that live energy with a band, right? But I know we're going to get 
better nuances and more and whatever, better, probably objectively better performances if you overdub. You know what I mean? Subjectively, probably different. You could get a diff different life, you know, when playing live. So I'm like, all right, how do I do both? Right? How do I do both? So now pre-pro has been the most important part of my process. It's pre-pro. And we pre-pro live. We set up, you know, it's, the studio is always set up to pre-pro live that everyone sets up, everyone plays, and we run through the songs, we, we try out ideas, we try out every single idea, and then I, all right, I'm gonna give, give away my secrets a little bit, but uh, so I, it sounds crazy, but we play it live, and then I put, I basically stretch a click to the live performance. So I have a move, I have That's an automated cool. click, a manual automated click to the live performance, and we say, this is what we're doing. Do we like this now? Is this, first off, is the song good? Is the structure good? Or the melody's good? Is the key good? Whatever. But now the flow of everything, this is it live. Does it feel jerky? Does it feel a little fucked up? All right, maybe the choruses, maybe this part, maybe just this whole song needs to get more on the grid, more, more closer to being quantized. So we're like, all right, let's, all right, let's move it. Boom, 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 boom. So we have basically, it, once we snap everything to the click, it's kind of like, kind of like Ableton and kind of like hip hop records. You can start molding it to what you want. If you want it to feel more live, if you want that last two bars of the verse going to the chorus to, to ramp up a little bit, we just draw it or I just draw it and say, all right, how does that sound? Yeah. Once we get a map that feels really good, that's flowing really good with the pre-pro, then we have this map, this moving click, then I'm like, all right, now we're gonna play to that. Now we're gonna overdub to that. And we slowly replace everything. We replace the drums, then we replace the bass. So that we still get the nuances, we still get, the control of the performances, but everything, the tree that everything grew from was this live performance that we kind of kind of groomed, that we molded to what we wanted. You know what I mean? You know, I, I I don't like doing a record live just to say we did it live. I don't give a shit about that. I don't care about that. I just want, to, want it to feel great. So there's live elements that feel great and there's elements when you're overdubbing, when you're, when you're tracking the drums by itself a million times that you're gonna get great stuff is how do we get all of that? And that's been kind of like my secret or my recipe to collect all that. It's very hard, it's very tedious. It's like we record the record three times, really. You know what I mean? And we edit the record three times. And so it's really tedious, but it gets the job done and there's no surprises. You know, we want to capture basically the surprises, the magical moments is what we get in the room. And we want to kind of make a stamp of it so that we can recreate the magic or recreate different magic, you know? So yeah, that's how, that's, that's kind of how I do it. You know, I, I've actually never heard that's been done before or the way I do it. I never read someone else doing that before, but, um, but I do it because I want to keep my dudes happy. And I think that, uh, when usually when we print the pre-pro demo, after we do all the molding of the map, everyone's the, the consensus usually is like, yo, can we just put this out? Can we save some money and just put this shit out? I'm like, no, we're gonna get better That's tones and better performances, you know? Yeah. I, I love <laughs> so, the process yeah. of that because in, at the same time, what you're doing is you're allowing the songwriters and musicians to become more married to that song. So by exactly. the time you get to their second, exactly. third take, it's yep. so natural that that feeling just isn't lost when you captured it that first time. Exactly. So, you know, the goal, again, it might take us 20 takes to get that perfect live or like where we want to start from, you know, but um, again, a lot's put on this end to make sure it's molded tastefully, you know what I mean? And make sure it's molded to their liking. 
Um, and I think that's that's key. That's that's you know I take my job as a producer very seriously, and I don't take it for granted. So you know we work hard. We go we go very very hard with uh, with making sure that these records feel perfect to these guys. I, w- I was going to ask like what's the most overlooked thing, you you know from a producer or artist standpoint, and I think he just answered that you yeah. know with pre production doing the work ahead of time. And, the, and your particular method of doing it, which is, you know, I don't think I've, I've really heard anyone doing it that way. You know, no, I've always like, had to do it after the fact. I <laughs> 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 always had to adjust the tempo after the fact. But yeah. I, I, you know, I like <clears throat> that method allows the musicians, excuse me, <clears throat> it allows the musicians to stay true to their original song, right? You're not yes. forcing a click down their throat where it's like, well, we don't really, it's not meant to, it's supposed to drag a little here. Yep, yep, exactly. That, exactly. That's great. I, that push and that pull, yeah. that natural push and pull that you get live, getting that on record, that's that's spectacular. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to hang yeah. out in the studio with you sometime. <laughs> Dude, you should. Yeah. You're welcome that's anytime. Great. Well, you know, I stayed up welcome in Ben Salem a couple of times over a couple of months, a couple of years, so I know Bro, it's in the area. Yeah, that, that's where the OG Mama Studio was, man. That's yeah, crazy. It was like a it. block down, two blocks down. It's That's crazy. where I was introduced to Wawa in 2004 and 2005. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Well, on that note, is it cool if we bring Trevor in? Yeah. And, of course. Uh, uh, we'll get Trevor's Trevor my dude. Board. Oh, and thank Trevor's you. everyone's dude. <laughs> Yo, Trevor is a cool cat. But thank yeah. you for taking the time, Will, today to uh, kind of let our viewers know a little bit behind the scenes of how you make these amazing records and a lot of it really just comes from hard work, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, absolutely. People can always watch Michael Jordan. I think you were a sports fan too. We'll talk about that. I'm a big sports time, fan. I'm a huge sports yeah. fan as well. Oh, I grew up near Chicago, yes, so I'm a huge Bulls fan. I'm a big Jordan fan. I, I uh, a, a little funny thing. We were talking, we were talking, I was hanging out with the movements guys recently, and we we're talking about eating sushi, and we we're talking about inspiration, about musical inspiration, and like the drummer. And the bass player was like, oh, yeah, growing up, this guy was such an inspiration. And the drummer was t- talking about someone. I forget what, the, what drummer it was, but like a really cool, like, drummer's drummer. And I was like, damn, I don't really have that for me. I don't have that guy that was like my inspiration. And I was like, oh, I do. I do. His name is Michael Jordan. <laughs> that's 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 my uh, inspiration for my my daily inspiration for how, how I go about my business. Well, I can't. We'll talk another episode because <laughs> that could be a whole episode in yeah, itself. Yeah. My yeah. <laughs> history with the Bulls and Jordan and that three Pete with Rodman and Pippen. Wow. That speaks loudly because that's three completely different personalities that work together yeah. on the court and just yeah. killed it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get got, to Trevor. <laughs> yeah, we will, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great speaking with you, Will. I really appreciate yeah, you, you taking too. the time today. You too. Great to talk to you, brother. Likewise. Oh, that was fun.